the nature and the power of Jesus. And uh, we've been going through a daily devotion. I hope those of you who are here, I'm looking for nods. You've been going through the daily devotion that we've been emailing out. Jess found them in her spam folder three days ago. So <laughs> she's playing catch up. Uh, if you haven't been seen, they're probably in your spam folder. Uh, but we've been doing a daily devotion uh, called The Character of Christ. Uh, and today is day seven of that. Uh, there's, there's 14 days in total. But each day we're stopping and we're looking, we're examining a different facet of the character of Jesus. Uh, so far, we've covered the sonship of Christ the wisdom of Christ, the graciousness, the integrity, and the humility of Christ. And then yesterday and and today, we looked at the activism of Christ and the forbearance of Christ. Now, those two devotions broke my brain to write. I feel like I got saved writing them. I hope they challenged you as much to read them. Uh, One of the things you've hopefully begun to discover through that devotion or rediscover uh, is that Jesus is wonderfully complex, beautifully complex. Uh, I don't mean complex in the sense that Jesus is difficult, but I mean in the sense that Jesus has depth and he has layers, and there's a lot of Jesus to get our heads around. Uh, I remember listening to to Cy Rogers saying at at an event that I was at that uh, God is like the ocean in the sense that he is so deep and he is so vast that the keenest explorer could always discover more to go to new depths. There is always something new that we can learn about God. There is always an unexplored, yet unknown facet to his nature. But Cy Rogers also said, like the ocean, uh, that you can be guaranteed that wherever you go, uh, it will be wet and it will be salty. And so Jesus is wonderfully complex in the sense that there's lots that we can get to know about him. There's lots that we can learn. But he's also deep that there's always more than we can. Sorry, he's, he's simple in the sense that anyone can come to him. He is not difficult. He's not complicated to go, I'm sorry, if you don't have a double major in, in theology, then you're never going to understand me. But he is deep enough that if that's where you want to go and you want to study his word and you want to study his character, you will always find more. So hopefully that, that's what you're discovering as we go through this devotion. Oh, look, I'm bigger. <laughs> you guys don't get it because you can't see, but I can see it. <laughs> it's nice to have a crowd. It's, it's so good. Uh, last week, we looked at the person of Jesus. And in particular, we honed in on the difference between following Jesus as a person or following him as a concept. We talked about how a concept is an idea. It's it's an imagining, a starting point, a draft, a possibility. When we get concept drawings, it's something that could be. And we go, I like that, I like that, I don't like that. But if someone's a person, then they're a certainty, they're a whole, they're a living being. You can't divide them. Again, the example that I used is I don't get to stand at the wedding altar and say to my wife, I accept half of you or 73% of you. It's, it's all or nothing, right? And yes, we grow and we change and we shape, but, but the character of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does not sit himself like a buffet and go, hey, pick and choose which parts of me you like. He's a person. And if God is a person, if Jesus is a person, then he deserves, then we can only accept all of him. Our theme for this year as a church is all or nothing. Uh, This week, I want to look at the nature of Jesus, which is really just another way of saying the character of Christ. If last week was about accepting all of Jesus, if it was about accepting all of Jesus, then this week is about presenting all of Jesus, presenting him in his fullness to the people around us. If you've been going through the devotions over the last week, I want you to think about the characteristics you've read. Again, sonship, wisdom, graciousness, integrity, humility, activism, forbearance. 
Is there any one of those characteristics of Jesus that you could drop and say, we don't need that one? We don't need that. God's still just as cool if he's not humble, or God's still just as, as wonderful if, if he's not wise. I, I would put that, that we can't. I would say that, that all of the characteristics that make up Jesus, it's all of him that makes him all that he is. It's a deep sentence, I know, that just profound. <laughs> I had to go to Bible college for that one. All of Jesus makes up all of who he is. We can't say, I don't need that part, I don't need that part. If you take any one of these characteristics of Jesus away, he starts to lose something of his character. We've looked at just six. There's at least, at seven, there's at least six more to go in our devotion. And that still probably only just begins to scrape the surface of who Jesus was. And we can't get rid of any of them. And the challenge with that is this. If you want to read, I've got them, they'll come up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23 in the NIV. It says this. Well, let's go from verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that's Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Ephesians tells us, Paul is writing, saying that the church that is the body. The church is now the fullness of God on earth. And if we are called to embody the fullness of God, then we should embody the characteristics we've been studying this week. We should embody the wisdom of Christ. We should embody the humility, the integrity, the activism, and all the other ones. I'll ask you a question. Have, have you ever had someone tell another person a story about you that is only half the story? You had someone tell you, you know, they go, oh, man, you know, that person there, such and such, and rah, rah, rah. And it's like, okay, like, it's, it's, it's half of the story. They go, oh, you should have seen what they did and, and how they responded to this. And you go, it's part of the story. And so if you've ever had someone tell part of your story in a way that painted you in a light that wasn't representative of who you truly were, how did it make you feel? When your character, the fullness of your character was misrepresented. This happens to me all the time. I love hearing rumors about myself. Have you ever heard rumors about yourself? You go, wow, I didn't know that. That was new. That's news to me. Wow. You know, someone's told you, and I wish someone had told me because I didn't know I was like that. Uh, recently, someone I know and love very, very dearly uh, posted on social media, and they used something that I had said in a conversation to illustrate a point that I would have never made. So they took words that I had said and used them to defend an argument that I wouldn't have defended. And they quoted me, tagged me in it, went, my pastor says, there you go, this is good. <laughs> and I, so, I, of course, I saw it, and I was hurt. I was confused at how a person had heard me speak and arrived at the conclusion that that was what I thought. I mean, how did you hear what I said and thought that's what I think? Sound familiar? See, because I was now frustrated that I was associated in the minds of a person that had never met me with an argument that I would never make. Words that I had said, but if they'd heard the next three sentences, have you ever do that? I, men in the room, if you're ever, like, how many of you are really good at hearing the first sentence that your wife says and then making up the next three? 
and then you do the wrong thing, and then later on you go, but you said, and she goes, that wasn't even the end of the sentence, <laughs> right? We take a part and we misapply it. It's the same. I'm, I'm sure you've got a similar story, and I know that because Jesus had similar stories. Jesus has similar stories where people take something he said and go, did you know that Jesus says, and that means Jesus thinks, and, he, and I'm sure he sits in heaven and goes, how, how did we get here? How did you, that's what I said, but how did, these are my biggest concerns, uh, in fact, no, hang on, I'll, I'll push pause there for a second, if you've been, if you've been part of this church, if, you, if you've heard me speak it for any length of time, somewhere along the line, you've probably heard me talk about my personal mission statement, uh, I remember being on a course a few years ago where we were asked the question, what is your assignment? What is the assignment that God has given you? Not just like, okay, pastor of church, but what's the, what's the mission that God has passed me with? And mine is very clear. I've got it written down. I reflect on it regularly. You'll have heard me talk about it probably. But in case you haven't, my mission statement is to restore false perceptions of Christ in the community and to restore false presentations of Christ in his people. That's what I live for. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I walk, I meet people all the time and, and they go, oh, this is what Jesus is like. And you go, not my Jesus. Not my Jesus. My Jesus isn't like that. And then at the same time, I hear sometimes people that I love dearly. I hear people from our churches. I hear people, and I'm not talking about anyone in the room or anyone on the live stream. I'm talking about someone completely different, different church. But I hear people say things and post things and, and present Jesus as a way that he's, this is what Jesus is like. And you go, not my Jesus. And so I've made my mission, and I believe God has made my mission, about those perceptions and those presentations. And there are two concerns that I really have about the, the church of the 21st century. And I, I, I'm preaching to myself here. Concern number one is that as Christians, sometimes we reflect the character of, a character of Christ, or sorry, sometimes as Christians, we reflect a character that is inconsistent with the character of Christ. We behave in ways, we say things, we do things that are not Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about having your life perfect and never making a mistake or never falling. In fact, I believe that when we're humble in that, even our mistakes and our failures can be used by God to reveal his character. But when we just go out and go, I'm going to be like this, I'm going to be greedy, I'm going to be uh, arrogant, I'm going to be whatever, and people see that and go, that must be what Jesus is like. My other concern is Christians who reflect part of the character of Jesus. That's not the full character. The part of the character of Je and part of the character of Jesus can be dangerous, just like part of my sermon or, or part of my sentence uh, can lead into misunderstanding of my person. I feel particularly sorry for, for the staff on a weekly basis who have to listen to my ramblings before they become a concise sermon because they'll hear me say nine things that I don't believe to get to the one thing that I do believe and then they have to shred the other nine. Otherwise, they walk out and they go, well, Shannon said this, so he must believe that. But it's, it's me work. I'm an external processor. <laughs> when we only partially present the character of Jesus, when we present part of Jesus' character that is not the full character, it's usually because we have a misunderstanding or a partial understanding of Jesus. Either out of ignorance, we didn't know, we haven't learned that yet, or an apathy to really dig in and to, to be the people that God has called us to be. I want to look at two scriptures this morning. First one is John chapter 14, verse 1 to 9. Let's just read it. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house had many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you there to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place I am going. This is the bit that I want to lean into. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus goes, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He goes on, and Philip says, so, you know, uh, we've had Thomas wait, and now Philip comes in and goes, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And I'm sure at that point, Jesus just went. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Let me pull just a couple of things about that. I love the line where Jesus says, if you knew me, you would know my father. And his question is, how have, you, how have I been with you all this time? How have we spent so much time together and you still don't know me? You still don't know who I am. You still don't know my character. You still don't know my nature. How many services have I been to? How many times have we met together in prayer and then I go out and I represent God in a way and he goes, that's not what I'm like. Like I say, I'm preaching to myself. Take a look at the second scripture, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15 to 23. It says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot be a bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot be a good fruit. Every tree that does not be a good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I love thus. What a profound word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in other words, Jesus is implying that there's going to be people who are going to say to him, like, we did this, we did this, we represented this character, this character, this character. And Jesus goes, I didn't, you didn't know me. I didn't know you. You knew part of me. You knew that quote from one bit. Let me get back to my notes before I get myself in trouble. A grapevine produces grapes. A fig tree produces fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. If, what Jesus is saying is if we know God, we will reflect him. If we know God, we will reflect him. In other words, the character of Jesus we've been talking about, the sonship, the wisdom, the graciousness, the humility, the integrity, the activism, the forbearance, if we know him, we will produce and reflect those characteristics Excuse me, in our own lives. And if we don't, what's the implication of Matthew chapter 7? That we need to know him better, that we need to draw closer to him. But see, here's me where my concern comes in because churches love to abandon, ignore, or we forget aspects of Jesus' character, don't we? We have, we have our soapbox moment that we go, this is the one I'm really passionate about. I am a passionate activist for Jesus and we never, we never remember to be patient with people. Right? You've been to that, 
you've been to that service. Or, you know, I, I, and there's times where I find myself being guilty of being more frustrated than I am loving. And then other times where I find myself being more loving than I am frustrated. <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> I'm always frustrating. We forget parts. We forget to be forbearing, or we, or we equally forget the activism of Christ. And we just go, I'm just going to sit and just wait for Jesus to come back. I'll just wait. You might want to write this down. Hardline conservative churches, hardline liberal churches, all of them have abandoned at least one character of Christ. They've all walked away from something. If you go to a church and it's all legalism, 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 they've, they've abandoned something of Christ. If you go to a church and you walk in and they go, hey, whatever, man, just it's cool. Jesus, Jesus died on the cross. There's no such thing as sin anymore. They've missed something both ends of those spectrum, because if you knew Jesus, you wouldn't land in either of those camps. You wouldn't fit in either of those camps, because something in it would, would rise within you and go, I don't feel like Jesus is like this. I feel like you've caught something, but we're not called to catch something of God. We're called to be the fullness of God. And here's a word, and if there was a key word for my sermon that you wanted to write down, I want you to meditate on, the, on this, the duality of Jesus. The duality of Jesus. Let me define it for you. Duality is to be two things at the same time. To be two things at the same time. One of our most basic doctrines that most, most Christians would agree with foundationally demonstrates this. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We don't believe he was God and then became man, leaving God behind and then picked it up later on. We believe that through his ministry, Jesus was fully God and fully human. He wasn't 50-50. He wasn't one or the other. He was both and. Duality. Here's a couple of other examples. We believe that God is just and merciful. One of the big ones that we looked at this week is that Jesus had an activism streak and a forbearance streak. He wasn't 50% of the time and 50. He was 100, 100 all of the time. Someone this week emailed me and asked me when we were doing the humility discussion. And went, so if Jesus is humble, why do we worship him? Like if he's humble, why do we need to worship him? I said, because he's also Lord. And he doesn't seek, because he's humble, doesn't make him any less Lord. Doesn't make him any less deserving of worship. Also, because he's God, doesn't mean that he has to be any less humble. Duality. Let me be clear, there is a difference. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. There is a difference between, between duality and being double-minded, right? The Bible says a, double, a double-minded man is divided in all that he does. And yet Jesus had a duality. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll draw the conclusion that Jesus was double-minded. And if we draw the conclusion that Jesus is double-minded, we'll look at the Bible and go, the Bible constantly contradicts itself. But if we see the duality, let me, and let me define the difference. If duality is being two things at the same time, double-minded is to be two things at two different times. So here I'm one thing, or here I'm this. Today I'm this, but tomorrow I might be this. Double-mindedness is unsure of who they are from one moment to the next. Duality knows exactly who they are in every single circumstance, all of the time. See, if I was, if I was double-minded in my character, sometimes I would give justice, sometimes I would give mercy. So it's like, oh, well, today I'm in a good mood, so you get mercy. Tomorrow I'm in a bad mood, so you get justice. But duality means that justice and mercy are present 100% of the time. 
Think of it like this. When Jesus showed mercy, he did it because it was the right thing or the just thing to do. When Jesus extended mercy, it was justice. How, if, you've got, if you've got more than two kids, more than, in fact, if you've got more than one child, in fact, maybe if you just have one, but I found it particularly highlighted when I had two, you suddenly learn you can't parent them the same way. And they'll go, well, why did, you, why did you give me justice for that and you mercy for that? I went, because I knew that he, you would only do right if you got justice and you would only do right if you got mercy. But it, so this is me doing what is right. The Bible says, will not the Lord God do what is right? So Jesus was always merciful, even when he was being just. And he was always being just, even when he was being merciful. Does that break your brain? <laughs> it breaks my brain a little bit. Let's come back to this. I talked before about contradictions in the Bible. If you see contradictions in the Bible, and, you know, I love when I'm talking to, to you know, whether it's an atheist or someone who's questioning, and one of the first things I want to talk about is, well, you know, because you'll go and Google the, the arguments to try and take apart the Bible. And they'll go, well, what about, this what, what about this contradiction? Or what about this contradiction? What about this here when the Bible says, when we see contradictions in the Bible, it is an indication that I don't know the completeness of God. Because what it means is I came in with a perception of what I thought God was like, and then I saw something that didn't line up with my perception of him. <laughs> but when I understand the duality of Jesus, suddenly every contradiction becomes an opportunity to learn something of the much larger greatness and the duality of Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. If you see something in the Bible that is inconsistent with your view of Jesus... Guess which one is wrong? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It ain't the Bible. This is why I'm a campaigner for the whole of Scripture. I'm not, you know, I, I admire the preachers who can take one verse and, and one passage and they, and they do this beautiful exegesis where they go through verse one, verse two, verse, and, and it's beautiful. I can't do it because I have to look, I, I constantly go, let's compare that with this and that with this. If, if you go back through, if you were to do a word search of all of my sermons from the time that I basically started preaching, one of the, the most repeated phrases you will hear is, the Bible says, but the Bible also says. Because I just love finding those tensions. You know, and, and go, okay, so, so one of the examples you hear me bang on about is, that, is, the Bible says, God is just. The Bible also says, God is merciful. Or the Bible says, you know, and we see that in John chapter 8, because the, the, the Pharisees turn up with the woman caught in the act of adultery, and they say to Jesus, the Bible says... And, and, and then now, John 8, which is part of my Bible. So my Bible says, but then... Oh, sorry, that's a different... <laughs> later in John chapter 8. Um, the Bible says this, but then Jesus does something different. And so now that's a, it's a contradiction. Or it's an opportunity for me to learn something new about the fullness of the character of Christ. I actually believe this is where the Bible finds its power. And I believe as Christians, we spend so much time trying to run away from the tensions that actually we run away from the power of the gospel because I believe that the presence and the power of Jesus reveals itself in the tension. A mentor of mine once said, we must learn to love the tension of the Bible. We must learn to love the tension of the Bible, of ministry, and even the tension of life because it is holding the tension on a boat that allows the sail to catch the wind. And we let that one go, and the, 
we let that one go. And so when we try to put ourselves in a camp of whatever, of I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fundamental conservative or I'm a liberal, or usually we don't put ourselves in those camps. Someone else puts us in those camps for us, right? And then you end up in this weird place. I'll tell you what happens. If you truly start to embody the duality of Jesus, you won't fit in either camp. Your conservative friends will call you a liberal. Your liberal friends will call you a fundamental. And you'll go, I just feel kind of lonely. <laughs> But this is where the scriptures, this is where the person of Jesus finds its power, that he always perfectly manifests justice and mercy, activism and forbearance. You know, that one day he knows when it's like, it's time to flip tables. And then other days they go, what about Judas who's stealing from the offering? And he goes, ah. Like, you have to have some level of wisdom to know which of those you confront and which of those you leave. I'm going to bring it home with this. I was talking to someone recently who their upbringing, they, they'd grown up in a, with a very conservative faith. Good faith, Bible-based, but very legalistic. Parts of the character of Jesus were definitely represented, but parts of the character of Jesus were completely missing. And, and the black and white thinking of the church that they grew up in completely put them off their perception of Jesus. They went, Jesus is like this, and I'm not interested. And so through a series of conversations, we've been able to go, that's not what my Jesus is like. In fact, I don't believe that's what Jesus, I don't, if Jesus was here to defend himself, he would be upset with that definition. But as part of our conversation, I mentioned the name of another theologian that we were both aware of, who was extremely sort of left-wing. I don't like, I, this feels like a very political sermon, but it's not supposed to be. But I mentioned the name of this theologian who's very liberal, who's very open, very whatever. And as I was mentioning to this person, who keep in mind, they blame their departure from faith on conservative Christianity. When I mentioned this liberal theologian, their answer was, hang on, let me find it. They said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't like her. She's gone so far the other way, she's crass. She, like, she makes light of the person of Jesus that you don't believe in. She makes light of the person of Jesus. So, so here's a person who's been put off by the conservative, legalistic presentation of Christ, who is equally put off by the liberal, do what you want, that's not, that's not God to me. This, if there, was, if there was a paragraph that I need you to tune in for, it was, it's this. People are not hungry for the legalistic side of Jesus. People are not hungry for the liberal side of Jesus. But... The world is desperate for the fullness of God. The world is desperate for the fullness of God. When you preach, when you embody the fullness of God, again, you might not be a preacher, but when you live the fullness of the character of God, both sides, you will find that you might not fit in either camp within a church, but you will find effectiveness in ministry in your community. You will find suddenly that the people that, that were resistant to your message five minutes ago suddenly come alive and go, that. I remember sitting with a, a, a person several years ago in our church. She'd been dragged along, and she came out for prayer, and she, said, she stood at the front. Something in the service had moved her, right? And she says to me, I don't believe in God. But if, if I did, that's him. The, the person that we talked about tonight, that's him. I don't believe in God, but if there's a God, that's him. Because we'd taken this middle space of Jesus is fully just, he's fully mercy, he's fully truth, he's fully grace. And so I'm standing with this, with this woman, and I said, so you don't believe in God, but you've responded to the, prayer, the, the altar call, can I pray for you? Yeah. 
I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Sure. You start praying, and she just dissolves into tears. Why? Because something on the inside resonates that that God is the real, that, that is the fullness of God. And when the fullness of God is presented, then lives are transformed. I'm tired of seeing parts of Jesus presented. I'm sure you are too. I'm sure you're watching at home. I'm sure you're sitting here going, I'm tired of seeing parts of Jesus presented because it's not fruitful. It doesn't help. I'm tired of hearing words that Jesus said used to endorse ideas that Jesus didn't endorse on both sides. I'm tired of seeing activists for Jesus who have no tolerance of grace. And I'm equally tired of seeing Christians who have so much forbearance that they stop standing up for their faith altogether. And, can I, and I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that the world is tired of it. The non-Christian community is tired of it. But when you embody the fullness when you, when you embody the fullness of God, and this is what I will never grow tired of, of seeing the transformation at the intersection, the power of the paradox, the broken and the beautiful coming together, the sinner and the saint, the challenge with the comfort, where church becomes the safest place and the most challenging place that you can sit on a Sunday morning at the same time. And I have seen this work time and time and time and time again in people. I believe it was as distinctive of Jesus' character. I believe it's the distinctive that is growing in his church, not just connect. I believe this is what Jesus is calling his, his church globally to in the next season, to model the fullness of God at all times. And people won't know what box to put you in. Here's four verses. We finish the, with them so that you can be encouraged and challenged comforted and challenged all at the same time. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. Get this, Jesus says, I am. I am the light of the world, speaking of himself. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. He revealed the fullness of God, and Ephesians says, now you're it. You are the fullness of God. I'm getting happy. I can't sit down much longer. Watch this. Romans, I'm going to jump forward one. No, no, we'll do 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All of this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us that ministry of reconciliation. I'm finished with the challenge. What are you a son of this morning? The Bible has a lot to say about sons of. It talks about, it talks about the sons of, of, of Eli, the sons of Korah, the sons of the devil, the sons of uh, Sceva. You know, we've got all these definitions. But watch this, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, for creation waits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed or the children of God to be revealed. Your mission is to reveal the fullness, not, not part of. You don't get to say, oh, no, 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 no. Like Jesus has called them to reveal the grace. I'm here to bring the justice. You don't get to be that person. I'm here to bring the fire. They'll bring the rain. 
Jesus is calling you. And the world is waiting for you, the children of God, to be, as what, what was said in Ephesians, the fullness of Him to reveal the fullness of His character. And that's why we're doing this devotion over this week, we've gone and the next week, so that we can actually learn and hopefully come to know the person who we are called to represent. Because Jesus was clear when we, we saw it earlier in John, we saw it earlier in Matthew, if you know Him, you will reflect Him. If you spend time with him, you will become like him. The easiest way to be the children of God is to align yourself with the Son of God. Let me pray. Lord, this week, I have been moved time and time and time again by the thought of your wisdom, your sonship, your humility, your lordship. The idea that you were so many things to so many people, and yet in all of it, you never lost your integrity, you never lost sight of who you are. Lord, so often in my pursuit and in our pursuit to serve you or to serve the world, we lose sight of who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning, that we would be reminded. I pray that as we've been through the devotion, I pray as we go through the devotions of the next seven days, that we would be reminded that we would receive a revelation of who you are. And it would start to overflow in our lives and become our character. Jesus, that your character would be the character of your church. That the things that made you stand out in your community would be the same things that make our churches stand out in our community. Lord, we don't want to be known for scandal. Lord, we don't want to be known for drama. Lord, we don't want to be known for arrogance or bigotry uh, or, or, or whatever else it may be. Lord, we don't want to be known for, for liberalism and just being like, who cares? We want to be known as a church and as churches and as people that present the fullness of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself fully to us, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you that to see you is to see the Father. And we pray that when people see us, that they would see you, so that they might also see the Father. We thank you for your grace. When we fail at this, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we don't get it right all the time. In fact, sometimes I feel like I get it right less than half of the time. But as we lean into you, you will pick us up, you will shape us, you will grow us, and you will build your kingdom through us. In Jesus' name, we declare it. Amen. Amen.